Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Shireen podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. So, ugh. Guys, it has not been a very good last two weeks for me. Like, really, it has fucking sucked. Because guess who failed her last driving test? Me. Yeah, I I failed. I, I wouldn't say it was necessarily badly, but I failed. And I, I don't, I didn't really take it well. Because I wanted to pass so bad. But don't worry, I've rebooked. And hopefully by this Friday... Yeah, the Friday, yeah, Friday, I should hopefully have my license. I have been practicing very diligently, hoping that I get it this time. You know, one of my, my big problems was probably that I was super nervous. Um, I'm hoping that I've knocked that out a little bit, and I've heard the course I'm taking this time is much easier than the one I took on my first try, so I'm hoping that helps. Also, uh, as you guys know, I have plans to go to D.C., which Washington, D.C., in like, it's almost two weeks, and my passport hasn't shown up, and if I don't have my passport by the time I go, um, I can't go, which would really suck because I really want to go on this trip. I haven't been on a proper vacation in a very long time, so, um, God, if you're listening, Sky Daddy, please. Um, it would be great if my passports could show up. That'd be fantastic. Also, I still don't have a job, so you know that sucks. Sorry about me complaining. It's, it, it makes me feel better to tell you guys these things, you know? Alright, enough about me. I know you guys don't want to hear about me. That's not, not what you're here for. That's not what you listen to me for free for. <laughs> Alright, I'm very excited about today's episode. Today we are talking about Catherine of Valois, or as I like to pronounce it to my mom, Catherine de Valois. (laughs) She thinks that's funny. I don't know if you guys think it's funny. I'm so excited to talk about Catherine. She is genuinely, probably along with Catherine of Aragon, I don't really know if she'd count as medieval, maybe like early Renaissance. Um, Catherine of Valois is one of my favorite medieval women, and I don't think she gets the hype she deserves. Like, she's like a genuinely really cool lady. She was a princess of France, queen of England, for only a couple years, barely. She was barely queen of England, uh, mother of Henry VI of England, and grandmother of the Tudor dynasty, which I'll explain in this episode. I hope you guys are as excited as I am to get into Catherine's life, so let's get into it. Okay, guys, so Catherine of Valois was born on October 27th, 1401, in the Hotel St. Paul, which was a royal palace at the time, in Paris, as the seventh surviving child of King Charles VI of France and his wife Isabeau of Bavaria. Now, of course, her being born on October 27th makes her a Scorpio, which actually sucks because I thought she was a Libra until I checked, like, like, when the cutoff is for Libras. Really, so I love Scorpio. We have so many Scorpios. 
On this show, I can't remember how many I've done. I'm sure I have it written down somewhere. We have a lot of Scorpios, and Catherine is just, you know, on that list now. Even though I love Scorpios, they scare the shit out of me because, like, they have, like, cut-a-bitch energy, but, like, it's in, like, a quiet way. Like, it's not super obvious that they have cut-a-bitch energy, but, you know, they do. It's almost like those kind of people who, like, don't explode in anger when they're mad at you. They are just, like, quietly angry at you. And quietly angry people are more scary than explosive angry people to me. Also, they're, like, independent and ambitious types, but not not manipulative in most cases, which I actually think fits Catherine very well in personality. She was definitely a person who uh, did what she wanted, and, you know, based on her life story, she was always kind of meant for power, especially in the family she was born into, French princess, and I think she really took advantage of her place in the world. Okay, so before we get into the meat of Catherine's story, let's talk a bit about her parents, because uh, not only are they super important to her story, but in general, her parents were just, like, super interesting people. So let's start with her mom, Isabel. Now, Catherine's mom was a princess from Bavaria, which at the time was its own independent state in the Holy Roman Empire, but these days is a part of Germany. I'm not sure what part of Germany, but it's it's a part of Germany now. Now, Isabeau was handpicked to marry Catherine's father, Charles VI, due to her connections to the Holy Roman Emperors. I think she was, I think Isabeau was a great-granddaughter of the Holy Roman Emperor, like, at the time that she was born. Yeah, through, um, which was through her, uh, Whittlesbach blood. Um, but... Despite this, uh, Mama Isabeau has a pretty bad reputation in medieval history, like, Isabeau's reputation, which I'll, sure, I'll discuss in deeper detail at some point when I do Isabeau, it's, it's a bad, she has a really bad reputation. I mean, this woman has been thrown in the fucking gutter as for historical significance. Anyway, people have accused Isabeau of everything from adultery to witchcraft, which is, you know, primarily due to sexism because Isabeau had to seriously step up and take a leadership role when Catherine's dad was having mental health issues. Not to mention, Isabeau was, like, a really fashionable person, which some people perceived as her being a bitch. She did spend a lot of money on clothes, which, you know, to some people might make her look vain and vapid. But to be honest, Isabel kind of gives me big Marie Antoinette vibes in, like, so many ways, like, with all the scandals and also, like, Isabel being, like, a very fashionable young woman. Um, however, the time Catherine was born, Isabel was in charge of the country. She was a much different woman than she had been when she had first gotten to France, which, uh, you know, Isabel being in charge, a lot of the men in France didn't like that she was in charge, which is probably where she gets a lot of her bitch reputation. But you know, like I said, don't worry, Isabel, we'll get her on episode one day. We'll get more into, like, why <laughs> she was really hated. Uh, moving on to Catherine's dad, Charles VI of France. Now, basically, Charles VI became king when he was 11 years old, but as he grew up, it seemed like he was going to be a good king. I mean, he was, well, obviously, at the start, he was young and handsome, not to mention pretty good at his job, with the help of his uncles, of course. But in the middle of his reign, probably in, like, his 30s, I think, uh, Charles started to have some, well, serious mental health issues. Um, he would, he started attacking people, and at one point he was also convinced he was made of glass, or he would forget he had a wife, and children, or that he was king. I mean, Charles was 
busted, dusted, crusted mess the fuck up. I mean, he was not doing well. And I honestly feel terrible for him because having major, like, mental health issues sucks. Especially back in the medieval era when they were like, oh, he's acting weird. Maybe he's possessed. Let's get an exorcism or something. But I also feel bad for Catherine because she never really got to know her father when he was normal. Like, by the time she was born, like, Charles was, like, far, far gone into his mental health issues. Uh, she really missed, like, her dad being, like, the stable adult ruler. So her childhood was rough, which we should probably get into right now because her childhood, fucking wild man. Now, because it's Catherine's mother's poor reputation for a very long time it was assumed that Catherine's mother was a very neglectful mom so people assumed Catherine probably had a shitty childhood because of her mom but we know better now that we have you know sorted a bit more through the sexist bullshit um and we now know that Catherine's mother was super dedicated mom she spent a lot of time with her children she bought them tons of toys and fine clothing which you know i you know buying your kids thing doesn't make you a great mom she, but she really seemed like super dedicated she also made sure they were safe when the plague came through paris uh and also I, and i think this is a really big point in showing that she was probably a good parent she kept in contact with all her children when they were married off so personally i think the only stable happy thing that catherine had in her life was probably her mother which is great because this was a bad time period in france i mean shit was fucked up in the 1400s in france it was bad um, Catherine's dad was on the rocks, and slowly but surely, Catherine's parents were running out of sons to be the next king. I mean, Catherine lost a lot of brothers. Also, there was sort of a civil war going on between, uh, Catherine's mother and Catherine's parental uncle for control of the government. <laughs> um, at one point, Catherine, Catherine's, uh, sorry, Catherine, her brother Louis, and her sisters, uh, Marie and Michelle, which I've never heard of a Princess Michelle of France. That's cool. That's actually an interesting name for a French princess. Um, at some point, Catherine, her brother, and her two sisters were taken by their uncle that her mom was fighting, uh, essentially as hostages for, like, a little bit. Like, uh, uh, the uncle was like, come with me, kids, and they came. But don't worry, they probably won't hurt anything, because, like, her uncle wouldn't have never have done that like he loved those kids but it still sucks that like her and her siblings had to go through like a whole bunch of like political turmoil as like toddlers <laughs> also uh like when her older sister isabella was uh, sent over to uh, marry the king of england when she was seven which mm, not great we'll, we'll get into that in a second because it's actually important to Catherine's own story about her sister getting married at seven uh which is actually Catherine's sister Isabella getting married at seven is also a thing that people cite when they say Isabel was a bad mom, but, like, that was, like, actually super normal for upper-class women to get married that young. Anyway, um, but before we get into that, let's, let's talk a bit about Catherine's education and what she might have looked like. Now, all in all, Catherine's education ended up being pretty neglected because of the Civil War and also her being a younger child. A lot of effort wasn't really put into education her education other than the basics that she got at a convent uh when she was a kid uh probably about like five or six uh she was sent to a convent at uh poissy where she would have learned 
basic things she would need to know reading writing dancing music household management embroidery you know basic shit pretty much everything that she needed to become you know a great lady of a house someday um as for her looks i wasn't able to find much other than that she was always described as being very pretty obviously and having blonde hair uh but thanks to uh the movie the king i don't know if you guys have seen that I, I mean, I like it. It is a pretty inaccurate movie. It's mostly based on the Shakespeare play, Henry V, rather than, you know, actual history. Uh, but whenever I think of Catherine Valois, I always imagine Lily Rose Depp because Lily Rose Depp played Catherine in that movie. And I just can't see anyone else as Catherine right now. So when you're listening to this episode and you're thinking of what Catherine looked like, just Google a photo of Lily Rose Depp right now. Are you back? Isn't she pretty? Um... <laughs> Yeah, so that's what I who I think of when I think of Catherine. Also, um, but other than that, we have Catherine's uh, death effigy, which actually paints a pretty decent picture of what she probably looked like, like in real life. But uh, we'll talk about her effigy more at the end of this episode because it's actually a really cool artifact, and the fact that we still have it is crazy. Anyway, now that we got all of that out of the way, let's get more into Catherine's bonkers life. Woo! Okay, so negotiations for Catherine's marriage started pretty early on in her life. Uh, she was engaged at two years old <laughs> the first time to the, uh, to the Duke of Bourbon's grandson. But that engagement was eventually broken off because of the, you know, whole civil war I mentioned. Um, in 1408, when Catherine was eight years old, uh, the newly minted King of England, Henry IV, came a knocking, And he was like, hey, I have a son. You have a daughter. Let's put them together and we can be allies. But as I mentioned before, the uh, French court was in the (laughs) middle of a bit of a shitstorm. So they kind of ignored King Henry's constant inquiries and allying. They're like, fuck off. We're kind of busy right now. Also, they kind of had a bad taste in their mouth from the English since uh, Catherine's older sister, Isabella, had been married to uh, the previous king before Henry IV, uh, King Richard II, uh, who King Henry IV had killed and uh, taken the throne from him. So needless to say, they didn't like the new regime over there uh, because, you know, King Henry had killed Catherine's parents' son-in-law, which, you know kind of awkward (laughs) kind of an awkward thanksgiving dinner but uh king henry the fourth kept pushing for like the next couple years for catherine to marry his oldest son also named henry uh until henry the fourth died in 1413 and his son like i said also named henry took up the throne and became henry the fifth yes that henry the fifth of shakespeare fame and obviously of regular fame um (laughs) henry the fifth was also interested in marrying catherine but he had some big demands. Like, he was, he just walked up there, you know, slapped his list on, on the table. He was like, I have some requests. <laughs> Basically, he wanted the French crown to return Aquitaine and Normandy, which are two territories in France that England at one point owned it. Oh, owned it. Owned. <laughs> but they had lost them over the years. He also wanted two million crowns, which I I don't know how much it is in modern money, but I'm thinking based on the reaction that the French gave, it must have been a lot because the French weren't happy that he was asking for two million crowns and they rejected his terms like right off the bat. So Henry V was like, fuck you guys and renewed the English claim to the French throne and invaded in the year 1414. Now, I'm not going to get into the entirety 
of Henry's campaign in France because it's not super relevant. I mean, Catherine wasn't there. She was, you know, just chilling in the palace, you know, being a 13-year-old, playing with her dolls. But here's what you need to know. Now, the big battle that Henry won was the Battle of Agincourt on October 25th, 1415, two days before Catherine's 14th birthday. And while we tend to view the Battle of Agincourt as a decisive victory for the English, if anyone's ever, you know, heard of the Battle of Agincourt, uh, that wasn't really the case. It wasn't like a super, woo, big victory, but it didn't make Henry a big threat because, you know, it, it was still a pretty big battle, even if it wasn't like a complete takeover of France just because he won that battle. We tend to treat it as if, like, Henry officially won France that day, but he, he didn't. Uh, but, you know, Catherine and her family should be fine, right? Right? I mean, after all, Catherine has, like, two adult brothers who can totally deal with Henry, right? Well, no. Um, in that same year, Catherine's older brother and the heir to the throne, Louis, died. And then two years later, Catherine's other older brother, John, died. And next thing you know, the heir to the throne is Catherine's bratty younger brother, Charles, who's 12 and kind of a dick. And at this point, 16-year-old Catherine, who, uh basically was now insisting on marrying henry to help clean up the p political situation like she was like mom i can do this like please let me do this now her mom isabeau was starting to realize that she didn't have a lot of options left with uh, charles being there no one really liked him so she opened up with negotiations with uh, henry for marriage to catherine um at the end of the year 1418, the city of Rouen had fallen, and a conference was called at the city of Moulin. Now, Isabeau made sure Catherine was there so she could impress Henry, and impress Henry she fucking did. Henry was pretty much from the start smitten with her, and he even kissed her on the cheek at the conference, and she blushed, and the deal was pretty much sealed for Henry. Like, he was like, well, this girl is, like, really great. I'm, like, genuinely in love with her. Um, he was so in love with her, in fact, he modified his demands because of how much he ended up adoring Catherine, and he agreed to pay a dower uh, in England of 10,000 marks, which again, I don't know how much it is, but it must have been a decent income because everyone was cool with it. And he agreed to renounce his title of King of France. Uh, he did demand to be named regent for the remaining reign of Catherine's father and to be designated as heir to the Kingdom of France, replacing Catherine's brother Charles. And after some hard bargaining, the terms were agreed, which disinherited Catherine's brother and made Henry the future king of France. And it's also here because Isabeau was super involved in these negotiations that Isabeau gets a bad rap because she's seen as the queen who gave away France, which I, I don't agree with. Anyway, um, Henry arrived in France after negotiations in the Treaty of Troyes. Troyes? I think it's pronounced Troyes. It's T-R-O-Y-E-S. Probably Troy's. Uh, this treaty was sealed on May 20th, 1420. Um, the territory of Normandy was turned over to Henry. Uh, Aqu Aquitaine wasn't. France got to keep Aquitaine, but at least he got Normandy. That's a pretty good deal. And uh, Henry was named regent. Catherine and Henry were married officially on June 2nd in the Troy's Cathedral. Uh, the bride was 18 and the groom is was 33, which is ew. But it's better than him being 50 and her being underage. At least she was 18. I'll give them that. Anyway, uh, Henry insisted the wedding ceremony follow the customs of France. I think he like was genuinely interested in being like respectful of her country's 
traditions. So pretty much the whole wedding ceremony followed French traditions. Um, I, as I recall reading, I'm pretty sure like their wedding ceremony was performed in French and Henry spoke French anyway. So um, after the wedding, there was a great feast and the couple were formally put to bed. Um, as far as I know, no one watched their wedding ceremony, which would have been weird. Now, uh, before we get into Catherine's time being married to Henry and being Queen of England, I think it's important that we talk about Henry and his background and what, you know, Catherine and Henry's relationship might have been like. Now, Henry's, he's a really fascinating character to me. I mean, he managed to pull off basically a successful takeover of France and become one of England's greatest kings, like, all before he was 40, which is very impressive. And, you know, he wasn't even born for any of this. He was born as the son of a minor English royal. Uh, his dad was originally Henry Bolingbroke, and his mom was half English, half French. Her name was Mary de Bonne, and she never became queen. She died before Henry's dad, Henry, became king. Um... Henry's dad was exiled very early in his life, but was, uh, but Henry himself, Henry V, um, was allowed to stay in England with King Richard II, basically as, like, a tiny hostage, um, but next thing you know, Henry's in his early 20s, his dad invades, overthrows the king, and he's Prince of Wales, like, what a, what a upgrade. <laughs> you know, Henry was a person who, right from the time he was there, he made sure, and his dad also made sure, that he was ready to be a king. Because, you know, England had been through some unstable shit with Richard II. So, Henry V made sure he participated in politics. He led armies along with his younger brothers for his dad. And even though Henry and Henry didn't get along politically sometimes, his dad was super confident in his abilities to be king, which is probably what made Henry such a great king. Um, as for him and Catherine's relationship, we don't know entirely too much. Um... After all, this was a political marriage, so probably definitely not a love match, but in general, they seem to have a really warm relationship. I mean, they're a hot couple. They looked great together. And the people of England loved them. When they did tours, my God, the streets were lined with people being like, Catherine, Henry, we love you so much. <laughs> but I don't think they were a love match in any way, but I definitely think they were happy. Like, I think they got along well enough, but I don't really think they were ever, like, desperately and, like, perpetually in love, which, you know, I think is good enough for a medieval marriage. I mean, you know, shit happens. Good for them, you know? Okay, so, you know, most of, m most of, most of Catherine Henry's honeymoon basically consisted of her doing what war brides do best, and that was following him around France on different city sieges, because despite the signing of, you know, a whole peace treaty and them getting married, some nobility supported Catherine's little brother, Charles, to be king, and the other half supported Henry. Basically, the half that supported Henry was like, yes, English overlord, take us over and the other half was like fuck you you english twat we want this 15 year old little brat charles to be our king uh but eventually over the end of 1421 most major french cities had surrendered to henry and everything was like kind of cool now catherine eventually was able to return to her parents for the rest of the winter she spent christmas with them and on december 1st king charles and queen isabeau along with henry and catherine henry's brother and Philip the Duke of Burgundy all made a state entry into Paris to be like, hey everyone, look at us. Uh, they traveled from St. Denis to the Cathedral of Notre Dame, the, which was, you know, festively adorned for uh, the Christmas season, and there were crowded streets, people being like, yay, the king! 
And Catherine and Henry celebrated Christmas in high style at the Louvre, which sounds so fucking bougie. I want to have Christmas at the Louvre. By the way, the Louvre was a palace at the time. It wasn't an art museum. Fun fact. Now, after the holiday celebrations, Catherine and Henry made their way to the city of Calais, which is like, it's... It's a French port city, but at the time it was owned by the English, and for a very long time it was owned by the English. It's not owned by the English anymore. They went to Calais and they sailed for England on February 1st, 1421. They arrived at Dover, which is an English port city, very important place, and the people of England warmly greeted their new Queen Catherine. Now, she was officially crowned by herself at Westminster Abbey on February 23rd, 1421, and this was followed by a fantastic feast where, you know, I'm sure Catherine ate her weight in turkey. Um, and then the couple took an official tour of the country for Henry to in- introduce his new queen to the people of England and to muster a new army for the renewed invasion of France because the supporter of Catherine's little brother were causing some major issues and uprising because, God, Charles was a fucking twat. Anyway, <laughs> uh, very soon after this, Catherine found out she was pregnant, which was awesome. But Henry went back to France to, you know, do some fighting, you know, as warlords do. So Catherine got to hang out with her brother-in-law, John, the Duke of Bedford, who you might remember from the Jaquetta of Luxembourg episode, because that was Jaquetta's first husband. You know, John, good for him. Okay, so it's time for babies on December 6th, 1421 at, sorry, at Windsor Castle. Catherine gave birth to a very healthy baby boy, who of course she named Henry, because what else the fuck was she going to name the kid? Uh, By spring, Catherine was feeling much recovered and well enough to travel. She really missed Henry and France, so she wrote him and asked to be able to join him in France, which he agreed to, and in a few weeks she was sailing back to France to go and meet her hubby boo-boo. She left her new son, baby Henry, in the custody of Henry's brother Humphrey. Yes, Henry had a brother named Humphrey and made her way to the city of Vincennes, where she was reunited with Henry. Now, on May 30th, the couple arrived in Paris, where great celebrations were held in their honor, because yay, Henry's back, and our princess is back. But by this time, it was pretty clear that the fighting had fucked up Henry's health. I mean, he was not doing good that year. He had contracted some sort of uh, what the chroniclers called wasting disease at the Siege of Meaux which ended in May of that year, and in June, the Duke of Burgundy, Catherine's uncle, requested Henry's help in relieving a siege by Catherine's brother Charles in the Lord Valley. Henry said what would be his final farewell to Catherine at the city of Saint-Lys, which um, Catherine didn't know that he was going to die. Catherine went to Paris to visit the tombs of her ancestors in Saint-Denis and returned to the city of Saint-Lys to be with her parents. That's where her parents were staying at the time. Now, Henry knew that he was going to die by July, like he was sure, but Catherine was not told about his illness at all. She was like, no, he's fine, you know, he's just doing war shit. Henry died in the city of Vincis on August 31st, 1422. He was 34 years old. Boo, Henry's dead, that sucks. You know, in, in my mind... Henry, he was such a good king. Really, the only thing he ever fucking did wrong was he died too young, you know? Now, at Henry's funeral, Catherine acted as her husband's chief mourner and was in charge of basically all the funeral arrangements for her husband. Over two months, Catherine traveled with um, Henry's embalmed body through France and across the sea to Dover. 
a awesome funeral was held on November 7th of that year. Catherine commissioned a fine um, Purbeck marble tomb uh, for Henry near the tomb of Edward the Confessor in Westminster Abbey. Uh, that's where he's currently buried. Henry and Henry's death was followed almost like really close by the death of Catherine's father, King Charles, in October. Now, Catherine's son was now both King of France and King of England, and two regency councils were set up to deal with both crowns since uh, Henry, little baby Henry, was just like two years old. Also, he had never met his father. I forgot to mention that. Little baby Henry never met his father, which is so weird that that never happened. Now, according to Henry V's will, Catherine had no political power, and basically her whole job was to, you know, raise, raise the kid, you know? Which she had no problem with. She was fine with doing that. Now, Parliament allotted a substantial, like, basically, like, widow's dower to Catherine of, like, basically the modern equivalent of, like, probably, like, 6,000, um, euros, like, I think it was, like, a month. And after Henry's funeral, she took baby Henry to Windsor, uh, where they lived in seclusion for about a year. And then she spent time at either uh, Hertford Castle or Waltham Palace. She also stayed at Westminster Palace, um, but m that was mostly for state occasions, like if they had like a big party or something. She never interfered in politics and was addressed as the Queen of England, the King's mother. And she appeared with her son on ceremonial education. Sorry educations occasions and for entertaining guests such as when uh james the first king of scots who he was actually a prisoner at that time um she you know showed up to the palace he was staying at and they were entertained together even though he was a prisoner it was weird now uh, one thing to mention is that little henry did eventually lose control of france he, he wasn't really king of france for very long like he was crowned but like pretty much you know, little annoying brat Charles, who was like 20 now or something like that, was able to fully capture the throne and he became Charles, uh, yeah, no, Charles VII of France. Now, as for this point in Catherine's life, she's lost a lot. I mean, she's the dower queen of England. She lost her husband. She's got a little baby. She lost her dad. Her, I don't know if her mom was dead by this time, but like basically she has no support. Now, this really should be the end of her story. Like, realistically, at this point, after Henry dies, she should, like, fade into the background of ob obscurity and, like, die. But her story is about to get a lot more interesting, trust me. Now, one of the primary concerns of the English Regency Council, other than, you know, running a country while a two-year-old drools on himself, um, was that, you know, Catherine was still young and marriageable. She was, like, in her early 20s. She was, like, 22 or 23. Um... They wanted to control who she might remarry, because whoever the baby king's stepfather was going to be could either, you know, improve politics or completely fuck up politics. Now, at the time, pretty much, like, almost directly after Henry died, Catherine developed a close friendship with her late husband's cousin, her late husband's cousin, Edmund Beaufort, and the rumors were that they were contemplating getting married. Now, we don't know if this rumor was true or how close they actually were. Whatever the truth, the Regency Council was definitely taking it seriously. They didn't really want Edmund Beaufort to marry Catherine. So they passed a statute which made it a condition that Catherine had to get her son's permission to marry. And at the time that statute was passed, 
little baby Henry was like six, so he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to give proper permission for like at least ten years or so. So you know, Catherine was stuck. Like she couldn't just like go up to like her six year old son and be like, "Hey, babe, do you mind if I marry Edmund Beaufort?" And he'd probably be like, "Fuck you, I'm playing with my toys." Anyway, uh, even if she had wanted to marry Edmund Beaufort, she basically never could until like Henry was an adult and could legally give permission. Now, over the next few years, Catherine spent her time taking care of her son and being as cooperative with her, you know, brother-in-laws who were running the country as she could. She wanted to keep the peace. But in the late 1420s, probably in the year 1429, Catherine got to be very good friends with a certain young Welshman named Owen Tudor. Now, Owen was descended from the last king of the Welsh. If you remember from my Nesta of Wales episode, I tackled about how Nesta was an ancestor of the Tudor family. In this case, Owen is descended from her, uh, from Nesta's younger sister, uh, who we didn't really get to talk about because she wasn't really relevant to Nesta's story. But the, the point is, they're, they're, he's related to them. Now, Owen had some old and very important Welsh blood, but to most of the English gentry, he was like too common. Like he was, he was basically a fucking commoner. No one really cared about his Welsh blood too much. Um, basically, his job at court was to be a soldier, and, uh, he may have managed Catherine's wardrobe, which is probably how they met. However, however they met, and whatever Owen's, like, actual status, Catherine felt pretty hard for him, like, head over heels, this is cute redhead. Now, soon enough, Catherine and Owen basically moved in together, and they may or may not have been married in secret, but no record of marriage actually exists for them. We think they might have been married. We're not even really sure. Now, soon after some sort of secret marriage, Catherine very quickly in the next couple of years gave, secretly gave birth to three sons. The oldest, Thomas, then Edmund, who uh, someday I'll probably get into in more detail. He was the father of King Henry VII of first of the Tudor dynasty. And then her other son, Jasper. But when she was pregnant with her fourth child, who would go on to be little, little Owen Jr., or as I like to call him, OJ, um, her secret relationship with Owen Tudor became public knowledge as she gave birth to her last son, Owen, and eventually would give birth to two daughters, Tacinda, which I love that name, and Margaret Catherine. MC, I guess. Now, safe to say, when Parliament found out that the Queen of fucking England had gotten married to a low-class Welshman and had managed to have five or six kids behind Parliament's back over the next couple of years, they were fucking pissed. And Parliament wasn't the only one who was super pissed. Her son, who was now a preteen, he was probably like I was like 13 or something, was very upset that his mom had like a whole fucking secret family that she had never fucking mentioned. <laughs> like, whew, it was family drawn awkward Thanksgiving dinners. Now, she was shunned from court for a couple of years, but eventually she was forgiven, but still disgraced. Her two older sons, Edmund and Jasper, were welcomed at court by their uh, half-king brother, sorry, half-brother king, half, yep. <laughs> half brother the king after Catherine had died so like they, they they made up but it was definitely a sore spot 
between uh, Catherine and her son. Because, like, how would you feel if, you like, your mom had, like, you know, fucked off to some palace and, like, gotten married in secret and, like, had, like, five or six half-siblings that you didn't know about, you know? Now, in the year 1436, it was pretty apparent that Catherine was getting sick. Uh, she withdrew to the Abbey of Bermondsey, and during the late stages of her last known pregnancy, uh, she was nursed by the women there. I think this was, was when she was pregnant with her uh, youngest daughter, uh, Margaret Catherine. Now, uh, William de la Pole was made guardian of her Tudor children, and the king was given updates on her health. Um, on January 1st, 1437, Catherine knew that she didn't have a lot of time left, and she made her will. In the will, she says she had suffered a long and grievous malady, which I, I think it means she'd had a long illness. And the truth is, we, we don't really know what she was sick with. It could have been cancer. Don't know. The Valois family were known to suffer from tuberculosis and, you know, various mental illnesses. So it could have been related to that. We don't really know what she was sick with, but the point is she was really sick. Um, she appointed her son, King Henry VI, as the executor of her will. And after a lot of suffering, she gave birth to her child while she was sick and died on January 3rd. She was buried in a pretty bomb-ass tomb in the Lady Chapel of Westminster Abbey. She was only 36 years old. Fuck, that is so fucking young. Now, many years later, when her tutor grandson captured the throne from Richard III and became king, and he was doing some renovations, Catherine's tomb was unfortunately disturbed by uh, Henry VII. Um, after it was disinterred, her coffin was opened and put on display, and for the next 200 years, like until the like Victorian period, I think, her body was on display for like so long. Actually, the uh, English poet Samuel uh, Pepys, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his last name, he, he mentioned in his diary that he viewed her remains, and <sighs> you guys are going to hate this, Samuel Pepys kissed Catherine's corpse, which is fucking disgusting that, like, like, not only was her body, like, put on display for everyone to see for 200 years, that people were, like, allowed to touch it and, like, allow her body to be disrespected like that for, like, two, two and a half centuries. Finally, in 1878, uh, during Queen Victoria's reign, she was reinterred beneath an altar slab in the chapel of King Henry V. And as for Catherine's funeral effigy that I mentioned at the start of the episode, like I said, we still have it. It's a beautiful piece of art. And as far as I know, it's the oldest surviving example of a European funeral effigy, which is really cool that like Catherine, you know, gets that title, oldest surviving European funeral effigy. Uh, it's, it's a really nice piece of art. You guys should Google it. Now, before we talk about her legacy, let's talk about what happened to her husband, Owen, and her kids with Owen, and also her son, Henry. Now, Owen Tudor was a very early casualty of the Wars of the Roses between the House of Lancaster and the House of York. Um, he joined his son Jasper's army in Wales in January 1461, um, and that force was defeated at the Battle of Mortimer's Cross by Edward of York. On the 2nd of February, Owen Tudor was captured and unfortunately beheaded at Hereford. He was 60 years old, which, you know, is better age to die at, but, like, he also got beheaded, so like, that sucks. Now, we don't know much about Catherine's Tudor children other than her sons Edmund and Jasper. They're the two, you know, 
big wigs of this brood of children. Um, her other kids either died young or were sent to become nuns and monks, so we don't know a lot about them. But Edmund Jasper became very important during the Wars of the Roses. Um, Edmund became an earl and the father of the future King Henry VII. Uh, Jasper was also an important part of King Henry's court and took care of little Henry Tudor when uh, Edmund unfortunately died in prison. I think he died of the plague. And uh, Jasper continued to be a fixture in the Tudor court for a very long time until he died. Um, Catherine's son, King Henry VI, um, was very sick for, like, a lot of his life. He had some serious mental health issues, much like his grandfather. It probably inherited that, but his mental health issues were a little different than his grandfather's, but, you know. Eventually, uh, King Henry, Henry VI was overthrown by the rebel house, the Yorkists, and he died under some pretty mysterious circumstances in prison. So, all in all, her family pretty much got fucked up by the Wars of the Roses. Now, as for legacy, Catherine is very underrated in hindsight, even though she changed the course of so much history just by, you know, doing what she wanted. She was mother of the Lancastrian heir, which, you know, unfortunately started the Wars of the Roses because of her unfortunate family mental health history. And because of her relationship with Owen Tudor, she spawned the Tudor dynasty, which gave us great monarchs like Elizabeth I and not so great monarchs like Henry VIII. And like literally like a whole section of history just because she, you know, married who she loved. Good for her. Now, if Catherine hadn't defied expectations, like, where would most Tudor historians be? Nowhere, because the Tudor dynasty wouldn't exist without Catherine. You know, <laughs> she was a tenacious lady, and I love her for that. And thank you guys so much for joining me in this episode. I really, really enjoyed it. Hopefully, uh, by the time uh, the next episode comes out, um, I will have been to Washington, D.C. If I end up going, my next episode is going to be delayed. A little bit because I'll still be in Washington by like Monday and you know I'll probably need to rest and I won't be able to record and also uh, hint hint I'm going to the Mount Vernon estate estate and that's a hint for the next episode Mount Vernon if you guys know what that is I'm doing a person who lived at Mount Vernon so just think about that thank you guys so much for joining me goodbye Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMayShereign2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.